From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. We are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and streaming online at wvfs.fsu.edu. I'm your host, Gary Pudnick, and we got a packed show tonight. We FSU men's basketball finishes second in the ACC in disappointing fashion. Women's basketball loses a heartbreaker in the ACC tournament. And FSU baseball bounced back in pretty convincing fashion, if I do say so myself. But we got that uh, NBA trade deadline, NBA All-Star game, the dunk contest. That was a disappointment. But we'll get to all that and much, much more. Uh, as always, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Austin Reynolds. Austin, FSU baseball, they kind of proved this wrong this week. We went on a tirade. We really <laughs> tore them a new one last week. But, hey, they maybe maybe they were listening. <laughs> maybe, yeah. I mean, those first two games in particular, the ones they won, were super impressive. The starting pitching in particular, which we're going to talk about really in-depth because that was the focal point of this this series win for FSU. Maybe they can keep the momentum going. Who knows? Yeah, it's going to be a tough one. They got USF coming up on tomorrow night. Yes. And then they got Virginia Tech on the weekend. First road series of the season and an ACC opponent nonetheless. So we have that. We also have Sebastian Angel Riano sitting right next to me. Sebastian, you're back in the Buccaneers jersey. It's You told me it's the one-month anniversary of the Tampa Bay Bucks. Super Bowl 50 was it 52 what are we 55 55 jeez yeah. why did I say 52 God, am I I'm way off on my <laughs> road I don't know I'm I'm having a day but either way you're back in the jersey how does it feel one month later no I'm still feeling great this is the one time where I can say it's a buck's life and it doesn't actually cause me <laughs> physical pain um no I, I mean great season I uh I can't properly put it into words how much it meant to to win that at home specifically uh I have been having a great time. I couldn't go to the celebration itself, but hey, in Tampa Bay every day, it's been a party since. Yeah, might as well enjoy it while you got here. It's... I did see, unfortunately, though, online, um, if I can butt in real quick, yeah. uh, people have finally started coming down from their Super Bowl highs. I've seen the return of Glennon posting, Nature's uh, yeah. Healing, Mike Glennon, the go. ginger gir- giraffe. <laughs> um, if you're from Chicago, you probably have just as bad of uh, a time remembering that period of time as the Bucks, uh, Glennon. Well, speaking of the Bears and speaking of Glennon, as uh, Mike Gruden would like to say, we're also joined by a new guy here from the V89 anchor staff, Jack Oliara. Oli- o- Did I get that right? Oliara. Oh, yeah. Okay, pretty good. <laughs> first try. First try. Got it. Nailed it. But, Jack, this is your first time at the station here in, uh, in Diffenbaugh. What are your first impressions of the station in general? This place is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's jarring for your first time coming in here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, speaking about uh, Glennon, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Are you happy to see him? Uh, No, not really. Glennon Glennon gives me nightmares of 2018. And the fact that he started before Trubisky just shows how, how bad the Bears are with quarterbacks. I don't understand. Are you a Trubisky believer? No, I never have been. <laughs> I still look up in the ceiling and think, God, we almost got Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. So yeah, I mean, hey, every night. Yeah. Blame, blame the pace. Blame Ryan. Was it pace? Mike Pace or yeah, Ryan Pace? Ryan, yeah, yeah, Brian Ryan pace. pace. Yeah, blame them over there in Chicago. That's their reason for not maybe not being the best. But Jackson Studio, Sebastian and Austin as well. We'll also have Mikey coming in later for the second half to talk some NBA. Maybe a little bit of NHL if we can get that out of him, and maybe some Champions League soccer down the way. But still, we got a packed show tonight. We'll start off with FSU men's basketball. 
they had to win two of their last three games to secure the number one seed in the ACC tournament and win their second straight ACC regular season title, something that this program has never done before and something that would have been extremely impressive, especially in this COVID-riddled season, this weird season. And some people may have called it a candy, whatever you call, trophy, but still. A Mickey Mouse trophy. A Mickey Mouse trophy, yeah. I mean, we'll talk, we could talk about LeBron later if you're speaking about oh, Mickey man. Mouse. But... <laughs> But uh, either way, FSU had to win two of their last three. They took on UNC, um, Boston Boston College, and then Notre Dame to close it out. Two of those three were on the road, and two of those three that they lost were on the road. So FSU dropped their last game of the regular season in South Bend, Indiana on Saturday night, 83 to 73. Maybe some questionable calls here and there. I mean, maybe... I mean, we're in the league, too. Dare I say it? (laughs) Dare I say we're in the league, too. Referencing, obviously, Notre Dame's head coach's rant last season to FSU, and maybe there have been questionable calls and maybe a little home cooking for FSU last year in January when the Fighting Irish came down here to take on the Knowles and the infamous picture of Austin Reynolds let's, was... Let's not talk about face. that one. It was somebody somebody post that. Whoever's out there on Twitter, somebody post that picture. We need that back in circulation. I know, I know was it uh, Brett, uh, Brett Rutherford, former host of Tomahawk Talk, posted it the other day during the game, but it's always a fun one to see. But still, FSU, they just didn't have their best game. Obviously, that Boston College game was a rush. It was a great game. It was a great way to cap off their last game in the tuck especially for all those seniors out there like MJ Walker, all the Green Vipers, and uh, Raekwon Evans. So that was a great way to see them all kind of go out. But then they fall flat here in South Bend. Awesome. What were your thoughts on that game? My thoughts were pretty much summarized by what you've already said. I mean, the the calls were a little suspect at times. This wasn't really a call per se, but just the the refereeing. uh, One part that stuck stuck out to me was when Scotty Barnes was just clapping his hands during a free throw attempt, just trying to get his guys amped up, uh, get some energy on FSU, and the referee, one of the referees, told him to stop clapping. That's that's something I've never seen before. Like the, the, It was just little interactions like that that probably stuck in the players' minds and were like, am, am I going to be called out for every little thing that I do in this game? So that that was one reason that FSU probably lost that game, but I mean, the, the three-point shooting was ultimately what doomed this team. It was disgusting in the, in the first half. Abysmal. In the, for the whole game, 6-for-24. I mean, that they were pumping up shots against Boston College, and rightfully so. It was one of those games where they were blown away by yeah. uh, the Eagles, and it was done in the first 10 minutes when the Green Vipers were on the court even then. I mean, they held, the, the Green Vipers had Boston College to two points, I'm pretty sure, for their like two or three minutes that they were in the game, which was impressive considering those were... Not those are all walk-on players for the most part, except for Evans, mm-hmm. and then you have and then you're playing up against scholarship athletes in the ACC. So great stuff from them. But yeah, like we said, those that three-point shooting it carried over from that Boston College game and bled into this game against Notre Dame, and they really just were bad. And uh, MJ Walker too. I mean, two for ten, not not great stuff. I mean, Jack, did was there anything that we missed there that you can chime in on here on FSU's performance against the Irish? Nothing more that's already been said. It was just. I don't understand. It was it was like they they ended the game in Boston College, and MJ Walker had a brilliant night uh, against Boston College. Eighteen points, all his points, six for nine from the from the three point arc. It was night and day for him, and night and day for the team. I they I think they thought the season ended there. Didn't pack the bags to South Bend. Yeah, and that's a question that now they bring up a very good point there. Did did they get a little bit lackadaisical, expecting to walk into Notre Dame and just say, hey, we're just going to win this game just by playing however we want, really? And nothing's going to really change it. Oh, wow. I, we got some breaking news here from uh, Adam Schefter here. Dak Prescott, four years, 
$160 million deal for going, staying in Dallas. And then that'll be $126 million guaranteed. That's some, that's some crazy stuff there. But we can talk a little bit about the intricacies of that. I mean, that's a jarring Sorry, little thing I, that I, I had to break that. Yeah, I, I just I, saw that. I was going to say the exact same thing because I, I just saw the same tweets. So. I appreciate that. I don't have my phone on me. I don't have Twitter up at the moment. So right. I did not see that. That is a crazy, crazy number. But mm-hmm. getting back to about FSU, do you guys think they just ex- came in there expecting to win, just playing just however they felt like? I think they certainly expected to win, but I don't think they really rested on their laurels. I mean, Leonard Hamilton is not the kind of guy that is going to let his team get in that mindset, regardless of if they're 15 and 4, which they were coming into this game, or if they were 4 and 15. They, they, he has them in line from game to game, so I, I do not expect that they were just overconfident, and that was the main reason. It was just sometimes even championship teams have stinkers, and that was that was certainly a stinker in pretty much every aspect. Yeah. Jack? Something I noticed is that uh, away they're 3 and 4. They're under 500 on the road. Yep. Yeah, it's... They really love playing in the Tucker Center, and that's just something that's been prevalent our whole four years here. I mean, they've been one of the most consistent and best basketball teams in the nation when they're in Tallahassee. But when they're outside of this of uh, the state capitol, anything can happen with this team. And we obviously saw that because they had, they've had some rough games against some bottom-tier level teams in this conference here. I mean, So when do we tell them that the, the tournament is in Indianapolis this year? <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Jack? They lost to UCF. Well, yeah. UCF was here. Okay, that was that, here, but like you got just, your. That's a one-off just, kind of thing there. That was COVID and all that. that. Still I stings. mean, yeah, it was a weird situation there. Like those, those. That's the rare loss that you can. They got. They kind of got caught off guard, punched in the mouth first by the golden by the knights, not the golden knights. Luke Fay would be banging down my door, <laughs> banging down the door <laughs> if he heard me say Las golden Vegas. knights. Yes, exactly. But hey, they do have gold in their logo and sure. all that. So I mean, <laughs> but still, they they have not. They they struggled against some of those. Bat like lower level teams. I mean Pittsburgh. Pitts, Pittsburgh gave them a really good fight. And granted, they did have one of the ACC first team players on that team in uh, Champagne or Champagne, and we can get into a little bit of that actually right now too. And they just struggled against those teams. And maybe that could be a bit concerning considering their teams that they're going to be facing in the ACC tournament. It the possibility right now is going to be either. BC, Duke, or Louisville. Most likely, it's going to be either Duke or Louisville, probably leaning a lot towards Louisville just because they have a bye, and it'll be Duke and BC, which weird to see Duke playing in the first round of an ACC tournament. You never see that. I mean, probably the last time you saw that is when there was only, when everyone started in the first mm-hmm. round and not a, any double buys or anything like that. But nonetheless, FSU will have a double buy, and they'll be playing the, uh, one of those three teams come Thursday evening. And so then they'll move on from there. They'll play either Virginia Tech or one of the other teams below them on that bracket. But let's talk a little bit about the ACC awards because those were all announced this morning. Some of the notables here, at least for FSU, Scotty Barnes, rookie, or freshman of the year, rookie of the year, whatever way you have it, along with sixth man and ACC third team, MJ Walker, uh, ACC second team, and Raekwon Gray, third team. I was maybe leaning towards maybe seeing Raekwon Gray in that second team line there, but still. Really good stuff. And something, were you expecting to see anyone in the first team for this season or any year for FSU? No, definitely not. Because the the way this team is wired is completely different from like 99% of teams in college basketball. It is a complete team effort. You see guys like Scotty Barnes and sometimes Balsico Provizza coming off the bench. Scotty ended up winning sixth man of the year, coming predominantly off the bench. Started a few games, but not all of them. Uh, so I was I was not shocked to see FSU peak with the ACC second team because there are guys like 
Sam Hauser, uh, other big names in the conference, they're going to take up those spots. They take the majority of the shots for their team. Uh, FSU doesn't have a guy like that. So just seeing three guys get awards is really great. Uh, these are definitely the three highlights of this team. Uh, we have said, we have sung the praises of Scotty Barnes, obviously. MJ Walker's leadership, Raekwon Gray really came into his own. I I'm fine with third team for him also because he sort of like started establishing his dominance in the ACC down the stretch. Started picking picking up some double doubles here, becoming a force in the paint. So, it it wasn't really that complete season uh, performance from him. Uh, so third team is fine there. But honestly, I'm just happy to see guys get the recognition they deserve. Yeah, exactly. Jack, were there maybe any snubs that you saw, or maybe guys who you don't believe deserved those certain spots? I'm not speaking really FSU, but maybe the whole conference in general. I don't have anyone in particular, but I am just a little disappointed in the ACC that you can't be rewarded for your team play because FSU. They're the best team in the ACC, and you don't have a single player in your first team. That is to say something about your awards and how you distribute that, but that's a different conversation. Well, the way you get rewarded for your team play is by winning regular season titles and by winning conference titles or t conference tourney titles and possibly NCAA. That's the Those are the ultimate team awards there, and that's how you kind of come about on those. So obviously we can see we still have a chance to see where FSU kind of finishes out this season because as of right now it's not over it's a long way from over for this team hope for a lot of FSU fans I'm sure they're hoping that that is the case because Indiana is a couple weeks away and they're going to be going up there possibly or they should they will be going up there for the mm -hmm. tournament barring any like cat, uh, catastrophe going on here but still FSU basketball they will have their ACC tournament coming up in just a minute after uh, Once this tournament's all said and done, do we have any predictions to maybe where they'll be finishing in this tournament? Will they be making an early exit, possibly a deep run, and win possibly winning it all? Awesome. I am a little... I have a few more reservations about this team than I did, say, a week or two ago, just because they have dropped some very winnable games, games that they should not have dropped uh, against UC and Notre Dame, or, um, UNC and Notre Dame. So, I mean, if those weaknesses, the, the three-point defense, the three-point shooting sometimes going cold, if those key weaknesses come up in a clutch scenario, then by all means, they could go out in the second round. I'm not predicting that. I think Sweet 16 is probably more likely just because FSC will still hold probably like a, a four, maybe a five seed at worst after these, after these uh, recent few losses. So they'll have an easier time in those first few matchups against inferior competition. But when it gets down to playing... The, the big dogs in the Big 12, the Big 10, Gonzaga, uh, other teams out West, I am not really confident that FSU can get it done there. Yeah, going into this week, uh, going into the weekend after the BC win, I was really expecting FSU to be sitting as a 3-4 seed, all dependent on kind of how they finish out the ACC tournament. But right now, it's got to be leaning more towards that 4-5 range and possibly even 6 now, even if they do somehow make uh, exit after their very first game of their tournament here in the quarterfinals. But, Jack, is there any prediction that you maybe have for how they finish out just this ACC tournament here? Uh, this could. I'm a little scared for this ACC tournament. Yeah. Only because, barring their away record, and I know it's going to be a neutral location, but I don't like this team on the road. And they could very easily lose to the likes of Louisville or even Duke. And I'm scared of Duke. I am scared of a hungry Duke. No matter how bad they are, BC's a pushover. Louisville is all right. But Duke's the one I'm really worried about if we have to play anybody and going any further the likes of Virginia Tech or even Virginia. or I can't see us winning three straight games against quality ACC teams. Yeah, the, the, the rematch against Virginia that you bring up, that is something that I was going to focus on as well because Virginia, we know, is going to be really hungry to, to beat FSU if they mm -hmm. do match up again. 
Uh, that would have to be a finals matchup in, in the, uh, the championship game, which I have my own reservations about FSU getting that far. But, I mean... I think they could. I think they could very easily get to the championship. Yeah. It's just... I'm worried about the, the that quarterfinal game more than anything. Okay. But if we get past that and get to the semifinals, and even if we lose that, I feel much better going to the tournament. But it's that quarterfinal game. Yeah, and you make a good point about the Duke, uh, Duke and Virginia there, guys, where it's the devil you know and the devil you don't, quite literally the devil you don't know in yeah. the Duke Blue Devils. And FSU was supposed to play them earlier on, I believe, around January, but due to some COVID complications, that game was canceled. And so that really kind of... It's a, it's a completely different team now for Duke than what we would have seen come in uh, to play FSU in January. Now that Jalen Johnson has now quit, or le- sorry, not quit, he left the team. That's John Rothstein tweet right there. But yeah, but the, I mean, they're a better, I mean, they look like they're playing better basketball right now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it just feels that way. And I know it's the whole conversation. Well, is Duke better without Jalen Johnson? I don't know. They might be, but. Still, I, this is going to be a tough series either way because if you take on Duke, it's, it's always a good team. They're well coached always by Coach uh, Shashevsky over there. And then you got Louisville, who's been, I would assume, hungry now after being Im- almost embarrassed pretty much by FSU the past couple of seasons. And then later on down the line, if it comes to that, Virginia, who's also going to be hungry to get revenge after that embarrassing loss here in Tallahassee. So we're going to have a lot of great basketball coming up this week. And then later on throughout the month of March, because lest we forget, this is March. <laughs> this is March. We sleep in May. Exactly. So we got a lot more of that coming up. But let's shift it over now to FSU women's basketball, because we were expecting a little bit more out of this team in this ACC women's tournament. But Syracuse, I mean, it was such a weird game. FSU led the entire time. Uh, what they didn't, they didn't never trailed for a second really until they didn't. Yeah, they literally trailed for one second. It was pretty much a comfortable 10, 12, 15 point margin for FSU throughout the entire game up until about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. That's when Syracuse went on their little run to tie it at 55, I believe. Uh, FSU felt the urgency there, got out to, I think, like a four point lead after that, and then just defensive lapses, shots would not fall. Uh, it, it, it was an ugly last few minutes. Yeah, it's it's a dis- it's a truly disappointing way to go out of this tournament, especially when FSU was starting to they were starting to feel that consistency. They were starting to roll a little bit, and they had a lot more potential than kind of what showed in this uh, in last in the game this weekend. But I mean, it's just it's just a tough way, and but it's really tough to really get anywhere when you only have one player in the yeah. double digits. Bianca Jackson had twenty five points in this one. The next uh, closest players were Courtney Weber. Uh, uh, Wilkinson and well, did I miss anyone else there no two players with both eight points so it's really tough to get up and go anywhere if you're only relying on Bianca Jackson and it really makes it easy for Syracuse to say hey we just need to lock her down and if we do this game is wide open and it's anyone's ball game at this point because no one was stepping up for FSU I mean Sammy Puis is two for five from three with as a team they were five for 13 so pretty decent if you're in the 38 to 40 percent range that's a sol- a decent night shooting but still it's it's just a tough way for this team to go out and jack is there anything that you maybe noticed from this game uh just just how they fell apart i would like to point out the score was 22 to 8 and that was the end of the first quarter jeez and to win every game to win your games you want to win your quarters that was the only quarter they won they lost every quarter after that second third and fourth and my favorite espn win probability gave fsu a 97 percent chance of winning at 66 to 59 with 255 to go and they blew it 
I am all too familiar with those high win probability I saw, stats. I saw you look. As Falcons soon as fan. he said the win probability, I saw him like look down. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, damn, dude. Oh, man. I mean, I feel like Jack brought that up intentionally with your Falcons hat could on be, tonight. Could be. <laughs> I'm, 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 make, I'm making myself a target. But yeah, it's it's just a tough way to go out. And as of right now, it's it's a huge question. Is this team going to be in the tournament? And I don't know. Do you guys really think this team has or it has the resume and has what it takes to be considered for one of those spots? I think so. I think they're they're definitely going to be on the bubble. But just given the the play that FSU had had shown down the stretch, being able to beat Louisville, uh, their highs should get them into the tournament. Uh, obviously. It was a late-game meltdown against Syracuse that really kept them from going further than they should have gone, uh, were expected to go in the tournament, the ACC tournament, rather. But uh, I, I do think they still get the nod. I'm just really, like, e- even less than the men's team, I am really not optimistic about this team's chances of advancing. Oh, yeah. And uh, right now, as of uh, as of this moment, uh, according to Bracketology on ESPN, they have FSU as a nine seed preparing to take on Iowa State in the first round in the Riverwalk region because they got a little bit different regions for this yeah. tournament. Was that, a, was that Iowa or was that Iowa State? Uh, oh, sorry, Iowa State. Thank you for correcting me sorry, there. I saw that earlier. And I was just... Yes, very good point. So, yeah, Iowa State, They would, and then if they were to win that game, they would be either facing number one, Mer- or number one A&M, Texas A&M, that is, or number 16, Mercer. And Mercer is a bubble team right now, but still... Being that nine seed, it's not a comfortable spot when this team is used to being in that three, four, five range every year, and possibly even, and sometimes hosting turn, uh, hosting regional in the first couple rounds there. So, it's just a tough bounce for this team right now, and all they have to do, and maybe it might help that they have some time, they have a little bit longer to clear their heads, maybe just gather themselves and just push on forward for this tournament. But as of right now, I mean, Jack, what are you expecting to see out of this team going into the tournament in a couple in a couple days, really? This team never won more. Their highest win streak was two, and that happened only twice. The rest of them were win followed by a loss or loss followed by a win. I can't see them getting any further than the second round. Yeah. And yeah. I don't even think they can get past the first round, if I'm honest. I- I'm not confident in this team. And that loss to Syracuse, maybe that's a confidence boost to at least get them a game over a potential Iowa State and that type of seed, but nothing, nothing beyond the second round. Yeah, that's completely fair. And I mean, Gary brought up the scoring from the Syracuse game, how how Bianca Jackson was the only person in double figures by a large margin. If you look at Syracuse's attack, they are they're, they're not a, a premier team in the ACC, but they were still able to distribute the ball really well. They had four of their starters in double figures. Uh, one player had 11 off the bench, so a lot more balanced scoring attack, and that's something that FSU has really lacked this season. If it hasn't been Courtney Weber and occasionally, like, beer, I mean, if it hasn't been Bianca Jackson and occasionally Courtney Weber or Morgan Jones, then it's been nobody else. I, I don't remember the last time that I've seen, uh, say, Valencia Myers or Sammy Puisis in double figures. It's been sort of a one-off occurrence for them. And then the bench, I mean, uh, Wilkinson got you eight points in the Syracuse game, but there's just been no real consistent contributions there. We love to go, go back to this consistency consist- thing. But, all about I mean, consistency. across. And, and, and there, there are excuses to be made. It's a COVID season. Semrau is out. It's Wyckoff's first season as an interim coach. But it's it's these, like like Jack mentioned, this inability to string together a win streak that is really going to hurt this team in the tournament. Yeah, and, and thankfully, at least for their sake, they might be going up against another team who's struggling to string together more than two wins at a time. Now, Iowa State, their longest win streak was four, but that was pretty darn early in the season there, and then they got on another one later on in the season. But as of recently, they have been struggling to get more than two wins in a row. And they're coming off uh, a two wins straight over number 18, West Virginia, and then Kansas again. So 
that's something this team's going to have to look out for, especially because this Iowa State team can score if they just happen to play them, because I'm just assuming right now off bracketology at this moment, but <laughs> Iowa State's consistently putting up 80 points a game or so, 70, 80, 90 even. So those are just numbers that you don't see too often, at least from an eight-seed or a nine-seed in college, women's college basketball. You usually see that from the uh, from UConn. You see that from Stanford. You see that from some of those other schools out there who are just phenomenal, but still, it's going to be tough. Yeah, and just looking at the recent results for this uh, FSU women's team, they are winning games, scoring 65, 67 points a game. So if they do run into that buzzsaw that Iowa State is, obviously their their defense can be a little suspect if they're scoring 80-something, 70-something and still losing. But, I mean, unless FSU was able to take advantage of that, then their offense as of late is not really giving me uh, much of a reason to have faith. Yeah, that, that women's team, by the way, has only got one, or the Florida State women's team, has only scored over 80 once, and that was against Florida, and that was their first game of the season, 81-75. Wow. Yeah. It's it's going to be tough to get that, especially, I mean, oh, Grant... Sorry, two. They actually did well against Clemson. They got 95. Well, still, <laughs> yeah. right, Barring yeah. that. But still, that it's close to, it's a little bit over a 20-game season this year, and, only, and being able to only top 80-90 when you have... I mean, Iowa State just putting up 80-90 consistently, at least in the back half of this season, it's it's going to be tough. That's all you got to say, really. It's just going to be a wild ride, and that's just what comes about uh, with the which what is March Madness. So it's going to be a wild ride going forward. So we're just going to keep you updated as we keep moving forward here into the season. One last thing on FSU women's basketball. Yeah, actually, the, uh, the selection show for the women's tournament is uh, a week from today at 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. So uh, we could very well get the results of where FSU is going during the show. So that'll be a nice little live update. Yeah, stay tuned for that one. We'll be on, obviously, next week, Monday night, 7 to 8 p.m., like we always are every single Monday night. So stay tuned for that as we go forward. But let's get into some, some FSU baseball because... We went in on them last <laughs> week. Last week, the, I think that was the I think that was the most I'd say aggressive talk we've ever had about FSU baseball ever in my four years here, and I believe it was it was deservedly so in my opinion. Just because FSU got swept by Pittsburgh, this has been one this has been one of the worst starts in FSU history. Me and my roommate were doing the math going uh, coming out of that weekend and looking forward to this uh, UVA series. They can only lose six games from here on out if they want to maintain that uh, 40 game a se- 40 wins a season streak that they have going, which I believe is right now at 42. So it's going to be tough going forward. But right now they had a huge bounce back win or bounce back series win over the Virginia Cavaliers. They had a 2-0 win on Friday night, led by Parker Messick in an amazing performance. Then you had a 9-4 win over them on Saturday. And then a tough and a questionable loss on Sunday, which uh, we can get into later on. But I want to start with Parker Messick because this is what we expected. This is the guy that we expected to be out there on that Friday night uh, to open up the season against UNF. And obviously he fell a little bit flat. Maybe it was the nerves of his first college start. But after a couple uh, starts beforehand, he's now 1-2 and two in uh, starts. He has a great evening in that game I was over 11 strikeouts in that uh game eight innings dude really just balled out and just and that's like I said what we've been expecting from this guy and so what were your thoughts on Messick and his performance that evening I mean Messick was great like this is a ranked Virginia team that he was going up against and to be ranked obviously you have to have a really good hitting core uh, so Virginia brought that into this series, and they he uh, Messick was completely able to shut them down through nine innings. I did not expect this result whatsoever, especially given Messick's uh, first few performances this year on the Friday night games. 
uh, didn't really instill a whole ton of confidence in me, but he was able to rebound really nicely. And I mean, this is something we've talked about a little bit before. I, I like Meat's dedication to sticking with his guys because, I mean, aside from Carson Montgomery, who kind of had the stinker in Saturday night against Pittsburgh uh, two weeks back, had to get pulled after one inning and change. Uh, he, he is sticking with the same rotation. So, I mean, throwing Messick back out there after two losses to open the season, uh, showing confidence in your guys is really good, and I, th- I think Messick is going to carry a lot of these performances going forward. Yeah, he's going to be the Drew. He's going to be the Drew Parrish of this team. He's going to be the CJ Van Eyck for a reference for more recent pitchers here. But I mean, this team, and even all around, this was a solid performance. I mean, if you can score two runs and obviously hold them to none when your guy goes eight innings off the gun there on Friday night, you're going to be in a good position to win a lot, a lot of baseball games. And if they and if they lost this game. Ooh, we we would have had a field day yeah. with this one, but still, they were to hold. They were able to hold out there. Tyler Martin was three for two on the night. Robbie Martin was one for four with an RBI. It was pretty solid all around by this team. I mean, the bottom half of this order really put on a stinker in this game. I from un, under the top three hitters that was uh, Martin Nelson and Martin another Martin Robbie Martin, down to Elijah Cabell all the way through Vince Smith. No hits. Yikes. Well, they made up for it the following day, though, because they did have that uh, that show they put on in the fifth inning of, the, of Saturday's game. So. Yeah, that was impressive. That 9-4 win over over Virginia, obviously. Everyone was hitting that day. Everyone was seeing the ball pretty darn well, if I do say so myself. I mean, you had Reese Albert 4-for-2. You had uh, Garrett Mathis. He was 1-for-4. I mean, he's a new guy in the roster, mm-hmm. hasn't seen a lot of playing time this season. And then you had Cabell and Nelson. All those guys were kind of chipping in, doing their parts. And, I mean... Uh, Jack, what is your initial take on this FSU baseball team? Because we haven't really heard anything from you about this. I don't, I don't know what to make of them, especially after the start they had. You know, I don't know that first loss against North Florida really stuck with me, and I know that really doesn't really mean much. And then the sweeping against Pitt didn't make me feel any better. And I don't know. It's just we. I was really happy with Friday's win because that was the that was the that's how you can go far in, with this team because you need to pitch excellently, and that's what they finally did. Because you could win your your nine to seven games, but you wouldn't need to win those two zero games, those two one games, which we didn't win on Sunday. But I was I'm very happy with the series and game two. We went we went reverted back with a nine four win, but overall very happy that we could finally win in different ways besides doing the big hits. Which yeah, is... you got to prove that you can do it all in this league because the ACC is arguably the toughest conference in all of college baseball. Yeah, I just want to, like, we, we have gushed about the starting pitching a lot so far, uh, but I just want to do, do it some more because uh, <laughs> going back to preseason, uh, before the season started, I had pointed out Bryce Hubbard as one guy that I wanted to put on a show. And in re- uh, not really in relief of Carson Montgomery, but taking the Saturday spot from Carson Montgomery this week, he was really good. Uh, he went six innings, gave up two walks, uh, one hit, and struck out six batters. Not quite the dominant performance that, uh, that Messick or Grady put up, but... He is showing himself or showing us that he can be a really good part of this rotation. Montgomery is not the best option right now. He was he was getting some work in the bullpen at the end of Saturday's game, so he's not completely like out of action right now. Uh, obviously, he did not enter that game, but at least Meat is Meat still has him in mind. But I mean, Hubbard, this is a guy that was really highly touted coming into last season. Uh, obviously, limited action due to the COVID stoppage, but he wasn't particularly impressive in that action either. So. I'm glad that he's been able to work on his game, uh, work with the pitching coaches, and really put on a great performance so far. Yeah, and that performance that he had, he had only six strikeouts in that, gave up one hit. 
And he really put relied on that defense there, and that's something that you need to be able to show because, I mean, you can have some nights where the defense just kind of sits around with 11 strikeouts being thrown out there, or there's some where there's a lot of balls in play and you got to make some plays out there. So really nice to see that. But I want to touch on Sunday's game real quick because that was the 2-1 loss there. You have to. Yeah, I mean, what the big thing that sticks out are those last three innings. FSU had a lot of chances to put runs across the plate there with bases loaded in at least two of them. And not being able to get the job done, especially in that ninth inning when you have Tyler Martin leading off with a double there and getting you on base and putting you in a really good position to win. And then it just falls flat right there. I mean, it's it's difficult to watch. Yeah, it's tough because I was looking at the, the stat broadcast sheet for Saturday's game and just looking at uh, clutch hitting with runners on second or third, they were like three for three, four for four, five for five. I kept checking. I mean, it, it kept updating and getting better during the fifth inning when they went on that little rampage, but their clutch hitting was definitely on display. And obviously, uh, you had some different guys in the lineup. Matt Nelson and Logan Lacey were out for Sunday's game with hand injuries, and you're obviously facing a different pitcher. Uh, There's a lot of things that factor into just wildly different performances from day to day. But seeing that clutch hitting just completely disappear down the stretch in a very winnable game was disappointing. Like, you you want them to go for the series sweep against a team that was ranked like Virginia. Uh, obviously you still take the series win because you take what you can get with this team. <laughs> you don't really know what you're going to get from a week-to-week basis. But, I mean, just I, I would like to see the clutch hitting stay stay up. Yeah, so in that game they had they had four hits, seven walks. Seven walks was a good day. They really were doing a good job of making sure they weren't chasing wild pitches, but they were still swinging the bat pretty aggressively, which is something that we've wanted to see out of them. But having 11 runners left on base is yeah. a killer. You just can't do that, especially when you got UVA over here having only three runners left on base in their game. So, I mean, they weren't getting on too much, but they made the most of those uh, chances there that they had. So I feel like this isn't a new issue for this, uh, this program. Florida State team, for this program, mm-hmm. really. I remember it being an issue in 2018, yeah. last year, first uh, year under Mike Martin Jr. This was an issue. This was especially an issue. I remember plenty of times covering games where I had to tweet out, uh, "Florida State leaves two men on yep. to end the to end the bottom of the fifth or or some sort of equivalent." Yeah, it's this a tough. Isn't a new thing for them, is it? Oh no, it's not, and that's that's because of what I believe is still that approach, that walk first approach that they all seem to kind of come up there with, and then. You get into some bad counts. I'm pretty sure it was a Jackson Green at bat late in the game. He got it. He was in a winning count right early on. He was at 2-0. Then it got to 2-2, 3-2, and then swings on a bad pitch and goes down there. And so you can't be waiting to pull the bat off your shoulder until you got two strikes on you. That's just not the way you go into it. If you go in there looking at a first pitch fastball or you go in there maybe on a second pitch, I can live with that. But still, waiting to pick, uh, pick up that bat off your shoulder until the third strike that's just unacceptable. Yeah, and that's that's something that we saw from Elijah Cabell on Saturday. Uh, e- even in the win, he had to be pulled after that at bat because Meat was not having it. Uh, he got down in the count really early, uh, just really exemplary of what you were talking about. Got down, extended the at bat. I-, I-, I can't remember if he ended up striking out to end the inning or if he got a walk out of it. Uh, probably if he got pulled after that, it was a strikeout. And knowing Elijah Cabell, he either strikes out or drives a home run. So yeah, oh, it's, it's tough. Ooh, one of the other things on Sunday, we saw Elijah Cabell get pulled late in the game in a big Again. situation yep. for guess who? Nico Baldor, yep. baby. I mean, he do- Meat Me really knows how to push my button. Uh, Baldor did work a good at-bat. He was able to uh, draw a walk there and extend the inning, so that was nice. But still keep going to Nico Baldor for that chance there with the with big situation like god it really grinds my gears that way but is there any last thoughts on FSU baseball from any of you guys here 
Uh, well, just just one more, and it's not even just much. Just one statistic that stuck out to me so far in the season. FSU is ranked dead last in the ACC conference play at batting at 214. So wow. as much as we like to bring up um, FSU and their home run way of hitting and how their pitching's improving, they're dead last in the ACC. That that's, is that's surprising. I don't know if that's surprising right now. I mean, Watching this team, it is not surprising. Maybe going into the year, if you said that, I would be surprised. So but not mm. only are they, not only are they leaving guys on base, and they're they, just not getting guys on. They're not getting. <laughs> not only are they not getting guys on, they're just. I mean, I'd, I'd like to uh, remind you guys of what the three true outcomes right are. Right, uh, home run, strikeout, or and uh, walk. Correct. Three ghosts. And. Um, I mean, if you're if you are not getting on base by your own engineering, so a walk, and if you're um, striking out or flying out, uh, which are, which is the second method, that only re- leads one, that only gives you one means of, you know, generating value out of your uh, batting average, correct? Yes. So honestly, like that's if if we're going to go along with, or if Florida State baseball is going to go along with that school of thought when it comes to their approach to um, their offensive play, then you're not really deterred by it's bad. Uh, it in in a vacuum, it's bad. But maybe if you're committing to that vision and you can execute that vision, which I I think you can reasonably say if your your runs are greater than five every game, which they've been uh, through I think six games. Uh, uh, there's only been one ugly loss where they only had, or no, there's been like two or three, uh, where they only generated two or three runs. Um, Just one more thing to add. Uh, despite all I said about them being dead last in batting, Tyler Martin is leading the Knolls at, you know, 4-44 and and is leading the ACC in on-base percentage at 583. Yep, so, so that really just speaks to, like, the top of the, the, top of the order being really good. Um, yeah. Obviously, Tyler Martin is uh, the, the stalwart of this team, and then after there it kind of drops off, especially with the Matt Nelson injury. But... Uh, I mean, I, I did not expect them to be dead last. I mean, it's not a huge surprise, but mm-hmm. I, I would have expected them to be maybe like 12th. So that's that's a little upsetting. It's going to be interesting in Blacksburg when they uh, you know play Virginia Tech this weekend. Mm. Yeah, it, and you want to, you, I don't want to take a guess of what FSU is leading the ACC in. What walks? That's not surprising. <laughs> Three Six, outcomes, all tied here. with Georgia Tech. Uh, was it uh, James Ramsey? Hitting coach at Georgia Tech also lead also tied for FSU with the lead. Makes sense. Wonder where he got that from. But Georgia Tech can do it all. They're dangerous. No, Georgia Tech is a phenomenal baseball team right now. I mean, they're they're gonna they have a good, very good chance of winning the league here this year. But still, uh, that's all for this first half of Tomahawk Talk. We covered a ton of FSU stuff this half. We got some NBA, NHL, possibly some Champions League coming up in the second half. So stay tuned for that. You were listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.
village. Got a drive half cut in the village. Model low, crime rate in the village. Model race, model hate, model village. Got my head kicked in in the village. There's a lot of pink skin in the village. Hardest man in the world in the village. He said he got with every girl in the village. Take flight, take flight. Welcome back to Tomahawk Talk here on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. I'm your host, Gary Putnick. As always, I'm joined by Austin Reynolds and Sebastian Angel Riano. And today we are also joined by uh, Jack Oliaro. Oliaro. Got it. Nailed it again. Yeah. And this second half, we're going to be joined by Mikey Lamari. Mikey, how are you doing on the phone over there? What's good, everybody? And I'm doing well. Uh, kind of long day, but... I'm glad to be here with you guys. Yeah, we're happy to have you here. We're, we're happy to be talking some NBA as we start off this second half here. Let's lead off with the NBA, the All-Star game. I mean, pretty it, was a, it wasn't a great game necessarily in terms of score and competitiveness, but in terms of just being a show altogether, it was a pretty fun evening. Uh, team LeBron, which drafted the far better yeah. team. I mean, Kevin, t- Kevin Durant... I don't want him running any sort of fantasy team or any being any sort of GM going forward because and he man, has to. So the first pick is always going to be he has to draft his teammate. So he's always going to have to draft uh, Kyrie first. Well, James, so, I would go James Harden over Kyrie in my opinion. Kyrie was a starter. There's politics to this. Yeah. Oh, no, there are. Yeah, but still. So Le- Team LeBron. It's just feature- like a. It's just like an optics thing. Like uh, it. First of all, uh, KD's team was handicapped because of that, and then you know, and that he wasn't com- able that to issue play. Compound. Yeah, that issue compounds through the um through the rest of the draft like you can you can literally go like i don't remember the order but you could go like you could st- go to s- from steph into giannis giannis onto the kubo if you really wanted to and i think he got both of those players uh through the draft uh, as a part of his starting lineup well yeah so his so Le- team lebron's starting five was giannis obviously lebron nikola jokic luka Doncic, and steph curry then on the bench he had chris paul brown george lillard sabonis go to go bear and then you got Durant on the other side with Kawhi Leonard, Jason Tatum, Zion Williamson, and Kyrie Irving alongside Bradley Beal. So a lot of lower-level tier it's, team in my it's opinion. It's honestly crazy. Yeah, absolutely. But it's honestly crazy that this is the first time that Steph and LeBron have played together. It was really in cool. In any capacity. Mm-hmm. Cool to watch, but still. Mikey, what were your thoughts on this NBA All-Star game? I know we got to get you in here on on this NBA talk. Well, yeah, for sure. But um, me personally, I feel like a healthy Team KD, you know, having Embiid back and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, I feel like they actually would have came out on top in that game. Because uh, when you have Zion Wilson as your starting center, you know, <laughs> your chances of – like, he don't get me wrong, Zion Wilson, he's a beast, but, you know, he's not no center. So, like, you really felt the, the impact, the loss of not having KD, Embiid, and Devin Booker in that game. But like you said earlier, the game wasn't too interesting, like competitive wise. But you know, I have to tip my I have to tip my hat off to Steph Curry, Dame Dollar, and Giannis because their performance was nothing short but exceptional. 
Yeah, I agree with both of you that the game wasn't really anything special on its own, but it's also kind of hard to live up to what we got last year uh, before yeah. the season was shut down because that was a really tightly contested All-Star game that I, I think it came down to literally the, the last shot. Mm -hmm. uh, teams went back and forth winning the first three quarters, so that was a really good display. Um, but yeah, I, I also agree that the, the injury luck definitely handicapped Team Durant. <clears throat> Just looking at the drafts on paper, uh, I feel like these teams would have been a lot more evenly matched if... Uh, Anthony Davis and Kevin Durant were not injured, and then the uh, the late COVID scare with uh, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons's uh, barber, I believe. Uh, something just just an Atlanta angle to give here. Trey Young was literally like two blocks down the street. So if you want, if you really needed a replacement, like a 14th or 15th guy on the other team, just give him a call. He he would have gladly driven over, had somebody drive him over to State Farm Arena. I am sure. The I'm game sure he... was in Atlanta. That was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, Hawks got robbed with Trey Young there. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Were there any Hawks on the roster for this game? No. no. I, yeah. If, if there was one, it would have been Trey Young. But yeah, he, 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 was like, he was like, yeah, yeah. He, he was like but sixth or seventh in, in total all star time coming from Mike Conley, though. So, yeah. yeah. You know, that, that was just out of respect, really, that move. Yeah. So you can't really be too mad about it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, one other thing about this uh, NBA All-Star game, this is the first time ever where they've done all the skills competition stuff right before or in the middle of the All-Star game. We had the dunk, or we had the three-point contest along with the skills challenge going on before the uh, game, and then we had the dunk contest as the halftime show. The three-point contest was a lot of fun. I mean, Mike Conley, Steph Curry, all those guys going at it. It, was, it came down to the last shot with Steph Curry taking it ultimately in the end. But it really fell flat once we got to that dunk contest. I tweeted out, I said, this dunk contest, I just watched the worst <laughs> dunk contest ever. Don't get me wrong. Like, I enjoy it every now and then, but that one was bad. It was a, um, the dunk con the thing with the dunk contest is that it honestly peaked last year, and it peaked in the worst yeah. way possible, where we had two spectacular dunking sessions. And um, we, I, I believed the, um, what's his name, Gordon from, from Orlando? Aaron Gordon, yeah. Aaron Gordon from Orlando. Aaron Gordon from Orlando put on the better performance, especially the capstone dunk that he had right at the end. <laughs> yes. Uh, but they were it was like a 50-50. And when they showed uh, Dwayne Wade just with the glasses <laughs> and that face that he made, he's like, I know what I must do, and I must rig this game for Miami. <laughs> Heat like, my culture, heart baby. Out. You actually, like, Dwayne Wade made me sympathetic for Orlando fans. You know how difficult that is? Like, I felt bad for, uh, for people who go to UCF. That's like that's Yeesh. an accomplishment. It's the state of Miami, baby. I mean, what oh, I gotta say oh, about it? I mean, yeah, okay. we, they had to change the rules because of Dwayne state Wade. He's just Miami. that good at it. <laughs> I'm a Miami fan and I love D-Wade, but I'm saying this with no bias at all. That that dunk contest actually was not rigged. Aaron Gordon did not win. Thank and you. He dunked over like a seven foot man. Yeah. What are you yeah. talking about? He did not completely clear Taco Fall. Oh my Thank god! Yes, that's, that, yeah. you know, oh my. Yeah. This is D outrageous. wasn't the only one that gave him a nine. On top of that, oh my! There was other other judges that gave him a nine. It was a clown. Like the no, no, Mikey, you can't. You great can't, take. Love that. You can't Love go it. all in by trying to dunk over Taco. Hey, and first of all, he absolutely cleared him. No, Second he, of, he, uh, he Taco he, Falls he, head he, bent. He, he did, he his head not. bent down. Taco uh, Falls head last bent down. Night, Obi Toppin, he used his other arm to push off of Julio, Julius Randle's back. Uh, you can't get a ten for that. Yeah, it just can't. Yeah, exactly. Like I saw that too. I was like, okay, it's a taco fall uh, situation again. I mean, I'm, 
I'm not saying it was good. I think the one dunk that I really said, wow, that was really cool, was Obi Toppin's first dunk. That was the one where I really enjoyed it. I was like, okay, this could be pretty good if we keep, if this kind of keeps up. Mm-hmm. It's just the start, but, I mean, I, if I'm not, don't get me wrong. That Anthony Simmons' last dunk there was just lackluster. I mean, he like I get it. He had a really cool idea there trying to kiss the rim, but you can't give him the win for pulling back. You can't give him the win for not getting the job done there. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if I would rather have had him kiss the rim because I mean all these uh, COVID precautions. This is the worst been, year to try that. Yeah, <laughs> very good point there. I never really thought of that, but still, yeah. But like, you got to finish what you started, man. They said that would have been a ten out of ten if he a ten out of ten across the board if he did it, and I agree with that. But just being able to not get it done there, it's like, uh, I really like you're really picking the lesser of two evils with that one because both those dunks weren't really great. Yeah. The fact that we're talking about the three-point contest far more than the dunk contest in terms of which one's better says a lot because the dunk contest is one of the biggest events in basketball. It of the is year. the I think it's the most important event. We we don't <laughs> we don't usually put up highlights of Steph Curry, but that's what we all got out of it. We got Steph Curry just absolutely setting ablaze in the three-point competition, and in the dunk contest, you're supposed to you know you you make your name. You can make your name in that competition. I feel like I know those guys less. If I'm honest, I could not remember the three guys who went. Do you, do you remember John Collins' dunk with the uh, the the pilot look a couple yes. years ago? I I, 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 had, I had almost forgotten that, about that, but somebody posted a picture yesterday and it just ruined my day because he <laughs> he had the whole plane set up trying to dunk over a plane or whatever. It just did not go well. Uh, I, I was just wondering if like as a as a Hawks fan, if, that, if that made you as embarrassed I, I remember as that I was. And uh, yeah, just what? had to just had to shut my eyes. The twenty first century. The twenty first century for me in the NBA. So obviously, you know, the finals are more important than, yeah. than the dunk contest. But for me, like the the dunk contest is like what frames the twenty first century and what we perceive as cool in the NBA. The only reason and, we know it, I'm sorry. extremely corny. Hang on, I'm almost done. Uh, so um, two thousand, obviously, Vince Carter was the greatest dunk contest performance of all time. Untouchable inconceivably just amazing contextually and just till now it's it's still the cool like it's over ladies and gentlemen is an iconic call uh to this day and then you know the other real dunk contest that stands out to me is when in an obvious like advertising move uh blake griffin dunks over a car blake griffin recent uh brooklyn net by the way uh watch him play good now my fault for interrupting but no yeah go ahead let's hear it uh, go ahead, Mikey. No, I, I said what I, I like. Oh, that, okay. that dunk contest, that Blake different dunk was so overrated. Oh no, I just it was to interrupt. I, you're I, totally right. You're totally right. No, that was the, the. That's why I said like the coolest and the corniest thing because that was like a clear like advertising plug. Like to this day, Kia still mm-hmm. sponsors plenty of NBA players, uh, Blake Griffin included. Um, Pretty and sure. it, it was just, like he won. He won the dunk contest off of like an advertising plug, which yeah. is like you know, in and of itself, kind of ironic for me to complain about that because we're talking about the sprite, uh, the sorry, the sprite, uh, dunk contest. So uh, Mountain Dew dunk contest. Oh, now, now man, Get, wow. I'm pretty. Wait, is it Mountain it's Dew? always gonna be sprite. Oh, is this sprite? I don't know. Oh, yeah, the Mountain Dew. I thought the three point contest was the Mountain yeah, Dew three point contest. True. Right. Oh, I got them jumbled. Blake, then I guess. Yeah, Blake Griffin didn't. He jumped over the hood. Yeah, I feel didn't... like you're the best player in your city. You know the local, the local ball in your city could do that. Like if he jumped over the middle of the car, I'd have gave him much more props for that. But yeah. just the hood, like that's not that spectacular. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, Jack, did you have something else from earlier? Uh, it wasn't too important. It was just the only reason we know Aaron Gordon, why he comes up, is because of the dunk competition. 
So that just shows the importance of it to me. So I, we would not Vince, talk about honestly. Aaron Gordon. I did. If it weren't for the dunk contest, we wouldn't really talk about it, Vince as much. I know Vince is a much more like, you know, Vince and he AI. He had a career. Vince yeah, had a career. Vince had a career, but like a lot of that career, especially towards the back half of his tenure in Toronto, was like, you know, holding out against the uh, the organization. He held out for two decades. Yeah, he, he <laughs> pretty kinda, darn well. <laughs> But still, yeah, there was the the dunk contest and all that stuff. It was a fun night. NBA uh, All Star Weekend's always a great time. But now we got the second half of the season, or the whatever I guess we're calling it. I get is there, is this really the halfway point of the season, or are we kind of like the pseudo halfway point that they're now making with the All Star game? I, I would say it's the halfway point because teams played thirty six games, so they yeah. well, I mean, okay, they, we're they, halfway. They, they were scheduled to have played thirty six. I think there are some teams that didn't have postponed games made up by the end of the, or by the start of the All Star break. <laughs> I have no idea if those games are going to be made up by the end of the season, so we could just be going off win percentage again like we did last mm-hmm. year for playoff seeding and all that. But, yeah, this should be the second half. Yeah, so we're now entering that second half of the season, and it the East is a jumbled-up mess. We got the West kind of separating itself. You got a couple teams separating themselves from the rest here. And what are some of our expectations kind of going into this second half? Uh, Austin, Jack, Mikey, is there anything that kind of sticks out to you or maybe even predictions that you got for this second half of the season um (laughs) predictions well well yeah i'm just saying like like are you looking for something to see like out of some teams or whatever this half yeah no i I was i was just going to give some predictions of my own but like i I am i'm definitely looking for the celtics to rebound uh they are the the four seed in the east right now have a lot of all-star potential on that roster brad stevens is a seasoned coach they have gone on a massive losing streak as of recently i think they've lost what are they like well, actually, they're, they're actually on a four-game yeah, winning streak yeah, they're, right they're, now. They're, they're, they're six and four in their last ten, but I mean, mm-hmm. they, I mean, the the late season part for them has been uh, not too impressive cons- compared to early season expectations. So I, I fully expect them to, by the end of the regular season, to be contending with the Bucks and the Nets for top two, three in the conference. Top two to three. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Jeez. I was. Uh, yeah. I'd have to disagree with you, okay. only because the health of Marcus Smart and. That's really the reason the Celtics are in this position because, you know, his role on this team is so vital from, you know, being the heart, the defense, and just that, you know, that vocal teammate, you know, that energy for the team. So his health is, is in high question right now. So them being in the top three seed, unless, like, we hear Marcus Smart coming back at least, like, 80 to 90%, I don't see it. I'm expecting the uh, I'm expecting the Knicks to kind of take a fall. I, they're they're nine and they're nineteen and eighteen. To me, that's incredible. I, I'm surprised they're fifth in the East, and I I think yeah, I agree with most in that Celtics will rebound. I'm surprised that they're as they're only fourth, but they're only five games back off the Sixers, and you know with the. They're, they're one of the deepest teams, I think, and I don't know why they don't get any further in the in the playoffs. See, I want to play devil's advocate to your first point, where it's mm-hmm. like the, the Knicks will fall off. Because there's an easier chance, I believe, of the Knicks remaining in this playoff picture than the uh, Celtics actually catching uh, or closing a five-game gap. I the reason you. why mm-hmm. is because the gap between what, like, f- the, the Knicks are what, fifth, right? Mm-hmm. They're fifth, mm-hmm. uh, the, the gap between fifth and, like, 11th is two or three games, which so is just straight up that? like a, yeah. Straight up, like a smaller gap. So the margin of error 
is both really wide and really narrow, um, especially through that like back half of the playoff picture. And remember, everybody gets it's the NBA playoffs this year where everybody gets in. Mm-hmm. If you're eight through tenth or eleventh, tenth, yeah, uh, uh, okay, it's eight through tenth. You get to play and I play in for the playoffs, which is like which begs the question: Why do we even play the regular season in the first place if we're going to do a big boy tournament like that? Mm-hmm. It's a little ridiculous, but um, the 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 Knicks are better positioned than anybody to, you know defend their playoff spot and for the first time since 2012 that's ridiculous yeah this team has stunk for so long um and dudes like spike lee just praying for the day <laughs> that would um that has finally befallen us where the knicks are back in the playoff picture it's nice to see um the garden is a stage it's the be- it's the biggest stage in, in the, the NBA. Mecca. <laughs> yep the, the mecca basketball so the fact that it's back is is nice to see um, a regression to the mean for the Knicks, I, I think, won't happen, judging by how their young core really wants to win. It's not just dudes, you know, uh, cashing it in, uh, players that are excited about playing with each other, players that cheer for each other on the sidelines, uh, players that are willing to go to war for a guy like Thibs. Like, um, we're, we're I, I think, like, a, not, a, not a lasting culture change, but a, a culture change has been made. That's completely fair. And uh, just to just to keep pushing the Atlanta angle, uh, uh, just to give some fan service to some people that are listening, uh, I think uh, one of my biggest predictions is by the end of the season, the regular season, the Hawks will have a playoff spot outright because they are 16-20 and 20 right now. The East is jumbled, as we mentioned. They already have Bogdan Bogdanovich back from a long-term injury. They are getting DeAndre Hunter back soon. Uh, they just got word today that he will not need a second injection in his knee, I believe. So he's he's on track to return maybe like two or so weeks into this second half. And DeAndre Hunter is by far their best two-way player. Uh, he is uh, one of the better scorers on this team alongside Trey Young, and he he plays defense super well. People have called him Mini Kawhi for all the right reasons. So they are getting their pieces back. Chris Dunn still remains an enigma. We don't know about him. But, I mean, the Hawks were... Uh, tread, treading water without him so I, I think that's uh, with the uncertainty of the Eastern Conference and this coaching change that supposedly Trey Young was in favor of uh, getting Lloyd Pierce out and promoting Nate McMillan I think the Hawks are on track to, to sneak into the playoffs who'd you say was mini Kawhi uh, DeAndre Hunter it's Patrick Williams man I mean yeah Patrick there, there, Williams, there's, man. There's, there's different guys that draw that comparison <laughs> it, it's a yearly routine just pegging somebody as the next Kawhi yeah. I, I think both those guys are on track to live up so well maybe not live up to those expectations entirely, play but pretty they're, darn they're, well. they're very strong players, yeah. Yeah, for sure, and I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention anything about the West Con- Western oh, Conference. Yeah. We've been talking a lot of East here just because we're all Eastern Conference guys. We all live, obviously, east of the Mississippi and all that, but are we... Uh, can, I, can I wrap up for the Eastern real quick? Yeah, yeah sure. Really yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh, but I don't really see Atlanta coming uh, being mm. in the playoffs at the end of this season because you can't forget about teams like the Hornets or even the Wizards, you know, one of the best backcourts in the league. Only one game You really back just can't count them out. And Atlanta's problems are much more deep, deeper than just their injuries. And another prediction I have for the uh, for an Eastern team this second half of the season is the Heat. Uh, Drogic is back. Jimmy's back. They're healthy. They finished the month of February with the second best record in the league, with, uh, going 11-4. and four. So I definitely see them pushing. And the Eastern Conference pushing up with a lot of momentum as well. I but wish, I wish, I wish. Ahead to the West now. I, I wish you could have seen the way Gary just pumped his fist when you said that Miami was going to make a push. He was, <laughs> he was so overjoyed to hear that. <laughs> Love that because I'm out here always on a limb here. I'm the only Heat fan in this room most of the time talking about the talking about the boys down south. But 
yeah, I'm right there with you. I really do believe the Heat are going to start to make a push, and hey, it might even come down to starting to make some trade deadline moves, and we can actually, let's talk about that rather than the Western Conference at that moment. Screw those guys out West. But <laughs> That's not our market anyway. Yeah, we're not trying to play for LA. We know Everyone knows LA is going to be in the top two when we get when it's all said and done. The Jazz will probably choke it down the line. It's all going to be kind of, what, what always happened will happen once again, but the trade deadline it's coming up soon it's march 25th this season and who are your guys's some of the big movers and shakers going to be whether it be sellers or buyers austin you got anyone right now one of the sellers that i would peg is the houston rockets just because victor oladipo i mean he's he's been outspoken that he doesn't really feel like any team wants him uh rumors are that he wants to go to miami i know you you were just showing basketball reference pages to me or whatever site uh, trying to work out trades for Victor Oladipo to go to Miami uh, in return for uh, Tyler Hero. You you want to drive him out of town so badly, but I think he does get dealt from Houston. I don't know if he ends up in Miami, but I mean he is he's just going to continue to be on the move this season after leaving Indiana. Mikey, you got anything? Any possible uh, movers or? Uh... Yeah, uh, I would like to see Andre German move. You know. Cleveland isn't really respecting him right now. They're, I believe they're still sending him out. So I definitely want to see him in a better situation. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, keep talking about the Heat, but I feel for them to, you know, get back to the finals, they're going to have to make a move, maybe go after Kevin Love, possibly Ooh. trading him, okay. Kelly and Andre Gudala. Mm-hmm. They just, sometimes they just need some more offensive power. The team, like, their defense is great. They're, they're like a top 10 defense. It's just the offense sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. They 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 get stagnant. So a Kevin Love would be a great addition for this team and their final hope and their final championship hopes. Yeah, on the on the Andre Drummond point, I saw something earlier today that said he could be dealt to the Lakers uh, because they they have a need for him uh, his position right now. He could just be in that same Blake Griffin chain of uh, chasing a ring, but I mean that's that's one link that is out there right now. Yeah, uh, Jack. Oh no, I was just. There's just all these stories about, you know, Lakers and just the Brooklyn and everyone just, just getting a ring for the, all these old guys. Mm-hmm. Why not get D. Rose while we're at it? Why can't he go somewhere oh, nice? I, I would love that. He wants to We'd play all with, cry. Play for That'd be tips. terrific. He wants to play for uh, for the Knicks? He, yeah, he, he wants he to does, stay yeah. in New York. I respect that in a way, but still. We don't want him to play for Tibbs. We want him to get the ring he deserves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's good point. Yeah, but still. I did like that point, Mikey, about uh, the Heat possibly going after Kevin Love because the Heat do struggle offensively, at least with big men, because after Bam, it's really no good depth down there in the post. Mm-hmm. So that's something that the Heat really do need to improve upon if they want to make a run here. But you guys did mention Blake Griffin ring chasing. Is he really going to make a big impact for this team, or he is he just going to be along for the ride? Not at all. <laughs> uh, Blake Griffin, you know, he's not what he used to be. To be honest, I don't. Even, he's Jeff Green is better than him than him to me, you know. And like most of it is due to injury. The man can't stay healthy. But you know, even this season, he's only played like twenty games, and he's been shooting for like thirty six. He's shooting at like 36% from the field. That is just atrocious. So, like, I don't see him making much contributions on this team. So, I really don't know why the Nets picked him up. I don't think they really need him either. But it's not like they got worse, but they didn't necessarily get better either. I think That's they, my take on the Blake Griffin signing. I think they just got him for a little bit of extra depth on that bench because, it, or at least just depth in that roster because they don't really have that much all after that trade for James Harden. So they kind of needed that in a way. Yeah. 
and there's there's something to be said about how Blake Griffin was not happy in Detroit. So maybe I'm I'm not, I'm not expecting him to just rejuvenate his career entirely. The injuries, the age, obviously play a part. I'm not expecting him to dunk five times a game like he used to back in Lob City. But I, I, he, he could see an uptick in points, maybe like two or three points higher than he did with, with the Pistons. Rome wasn't built in a day, and a one-and-a-half-year regression period will not be fixed in six games. No, but it, I think it's going to be a situation of rising tides lift all boats here, and he's yeah. going to be one of those boats that can kind of rise to the top when you got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden kind of leading the way for you. They they make the game of basketball easy when you have it that way. So I think that's a really nice uh, addition to – or a nice – addition that can help them possibly along the way as it goes forward. He's certainly not an awful uh, bench player by any means. He's averaging 12.2 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists. It's not great, but if you have him as an option on the bench, I don't see why you why that's not a bad move mm-hmm. for them at all. Yeah. And since he was a free agent and aging, uh, not happy with his current situation, it was a pretty cheap contract to pick him up with. So and we're on the ring sweepstakes. It's, so. it's really low risk, uh, high ceiling for this team. Yeah, so I think it's a good point. Is there any other last NBA talking points that you guys got before we head off for the night? No, we still have one more thing to talk about. Unfortunately, it's not NBA related. Oh, yeah, we got a little bit of hockey, I believe. We're, no, we're not and talking not about hockey, hockey right now. Dak Prescott? Some men oh. make moves to secure rings. Other men move to secure bags, which is exactly what Dak Prescott has done True. today. Yeah. This, is the, this is the hottest story of the night, in my opinion. Um, I'm sorry that I have to talk about this, but I, if I Fine. we can't if we can't talk about this, I will literally explode. What um, What are you going to explode about here? What is What is your because issue? Because I'm here to overreact, Gary. Okay, yes. and I want to overreact yes. before people on first take overreact in the morning. Last uh, <laughs> Last week when we talked about hockey, the next day, guess what? PTI talked about how Toronto was going to win the Canadian. I felt like my ego actually tripled, dude. I have such a big <laughs> head right now. You have no idea. All right, let's break down this is deal. Wilbon, is Wilbon a listener? <laughs> I hope so, man. I love that guy. Stephen A, maybe. Maybe Stephen A's yeah. listening right now. Who hopefully so. All right, so. all right, people. Here's the breakdown. Here's the breakdown of the deal. Okay, four years, $160 million. $126 million guaranteed. Uh, first three years average uh, 40 t- uh, $42 million per, per year uh, from Adam Schefter. Um, this is, I, I don't know if there's any incentives, but big two big things. No trade clause, no tag provision. That's like that's huge. This man cannot be moved. They're they're fully committing to Dak Prescott in the next four years. That's incredible. Yeah, uh, and it's 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 really what he deser- what he deserves for the the few years that he's put in for Dallas. Uh, this four year deal was one that he was trying to get worked out, and Dallas always just wanted to add a fifth onto it in the the twenty twenty off season. So they they realized that after the injury, we need we need to do right by this guy. Jerry Jones in the front office did the right thing. Uh, I really am surprised by the no trade clause, the no tag clause, because, I mean, fluidity is such a big thing in this league that I wouldn't even make those promises with a guy like Dak Prescott. But that that's that's super surprising, but in, in, a, in a great way. And I'm happy that he's getting his bag. See, I don't think it's like a, a matter of overpaying or underpaying. Uh, clearly, like the the hottest commodity at the moment right now is a capable quarterback that is both seasoned. So you don't have to commit time to developing him and um, consistent. And Dak Prescott has been consistently good. Uh, regardless of how his um, his team's defense or even his receivers have been at times, so you have with uh, the Cowboys have now addressed uh, two very big problems in today's market, so they don't have to overpay anywhere else. Uh, plus, you have him locked down; he can't demand a trade. He can't uh, really; he doesn't have, really have a need or a means to move himself if he so desired. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is Jerry uh, Jerry Jones seeing looking at like the current situation. You know, we live in a post uh, Super Bowl 
but okay. Uh, a post-Buccaneer Tom Brady Super Bowl condition where um, a very good quarterback goes to a very already good team missing a very big piece of the puzzle, which is a good quarterback. And uh, Jerry wanting to uh, avoid such a situation where his, um, you know, uh, purebred quarterback decides to go somewhere else where he might uh, find uh, playoff success. So you've got you now have like a, a Cowboys team that that is now like, OK, well, we've got like the offensive line or the um, offensive core drama kind of out of the way. You know, um, your wide receivers that are that in the past have complained about being paid Ezekiel Elliott first and foremost at the centerpiece <laughs> of that. And now you have the um, much to the ire of every single daytime sports talk show uh, host. You now have the biggest question in the NFL. Will Dak Prescott secure the bag? Uh, finally answered. The answer is pretty much, yeah. I wouldn't yeah, say this is like a, so. yeah, I wouldn't say like, oh man, he totally fleeced the Cowboys because the Cowboys, like I just said, have something very much to gain out of this and it's not to have to deal with a quarterback hunt or a, um, you know, a, um, you know, having to, like I said, overpay for anybody else. Go with what you got. And now you can address the issues that, that plague this, t- uh, this Cowboys side. A terrible defense. I honestly think that offensive line can be improved. I honestly think that the receiving can be improved. But when you look at this, what they just did by extending Dak Prescott here, they made themselves having the best. When everyone's healthy, the Cowboys have the best quarterback in their division. They have it's, He's better than Daniel Jones. He's better than Taylor Heineke or whatever is going to yeah. be in Washington next season. He's going to be better than Jalen Hurts. And so it just comes down to that, having that consistency in a guy that knows your system and you trust in there. So that's a huge piece there. And so they really, like you said, didn't really lose all that much. But we're going to see how this affects their cap situation and who they're going to be able to go after. Because right now they're close to being in the, or I think they're either in the red or just being close to being in that red. Well, I wouldn't know about that. Nobody really knows about that because I think we're closing in on four hours before midnight. And we still have yet to hear word from uh, where the where the cap will be going into the 2021 season mm-hmm. uh, for, um, you know, team finances. This affects a ton of teams. This affects, you know, the Cowboys are no exception. Um, as Austin and I would know, very much so. Um, <laughs> the uh, Our eyes are very clearly on the Saints and yes. watching them do devil magic or voodoo magic actually voodoo is very appropriate very appropriate uh doing voodoo magic in the um the deep south to see if they can work their way out of a 75 million dollar hole um and and, and a lot remains to be seen and the fact that franchise tag extensions might may or may not be a thing you know the nfl is pretty flexible on that they'll let us know before maybe midnight today or tomorrow at the very least they're actually going to do that um, but if there, if it comes to a staring contest, the uh, the league is going to blink before the teams do, I think. Because the, remember, the teams are the people who organize the league. Yeah, exactly. So that that was a big news. Thank you for bringing that up, actually. I've for, kind of forgotten blanked on that because we got caught up with some NBA talk this half. That was great stuff there. I can't forget my overreactions. This exactly. is why I'm hey, here. That's great. No, we need that because we got to be ahead of them on that's every other absolutely. station network. We, we're the first ones here. We're the first ones on the case here. Yeah, you, you got to transcribe every word that every one of us just said about this Dak Prescott deal and then match it up to what Stephen A. and Max Kellerman say tomorrow morning. If there's a match... And call it out. Yep, exactly. We were on it first. So we got the show up tonight, hot. ladies and gentlemen. So if you're listening to this live, I will actually uh, bust my chops in the production <laughs> room after this to make sure that we get this out the door and we have first dibs. Ha. So yeah. So hot everyone at ESPN and everyone else. But that was a great show, guys. I mean, we covered a lot of yeah. stuff in a short amount of time. But yeah, great job. Thank you for uh, Jack coming on, for Mikey coming on the phone, for Austin, for Sebastian, myself. We thank you for listening to this episode of Tomahawk Talk. 
Feel free to follow us on our Twitter at V89Sports. Uh, follow us on wherever you can get your podcast at uh, for Tomahawk Talk on Spotify, Apple, Google, everywhere else that you can get your podcast. We're there. And thank you to Max Rundy on Twitter. Uh, we did not know who it was until uh, just, a, just a few minutes ago, but it is Max Rundy. Thank you for running that tonight. Yes. Homie. Thank big, you. Yeah, big thanks to him up there doing that stuff. So, yeah, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.